You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. This book, which is uh, written about two and a half thousand years ago, and uh, is a story or a response to God's uh, people being exiled and the prophet Isaiah coming and uh, God bringing His Word through him. And like all Scripture, it is God-breathed and it's for us today as well, as I hope that you'll see. Uh, we're going to look at Isaiah 52 from verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains. It's on page 739, by the way, sorry, of the few Bible. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I don't know if you ever watch or listen to the news, I'm sure you do, but I don't know if you uh, notice this, that uh, most of the news is bad because bad news is a little bit more dramatic. Um, So, for example, today I just thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll go on the internet and I'll see what's listed on the BBC news. And so we've got anti-Semitism in Britain, there's a bomb in Turkey, there's protests in Iraq, there's fighting in Syria, there's the Scottish elections, and then you get the good news. And the good news is usually something that's a wee bit light-hearted, um, that you can smile at. Now, I'm not sure if this is good news or bad, because I don't get this magazine, but the good news on the BBC today was that the Duchess of Cambridge is going to be on the cover of Vogue. So, for those of you who get Vogue, I'm sorry to have spoilt it. Uh, the surprise and the elation and joy in your faces uh, when you see that. But it's strange, isn't it, how news seems to travel very quickly when it's bad news. But what about good news? I mean, we do love to hear good news. Well, this verse tells us about that, and it's news, it's good news, that although this is two and a half thousand years old, this is God's Word for us today, and it's good news for us today, and whatever your reason for being here today, I hope that you will hear this good news. It used a very interesting expression, how beautiful on the mountains, and if you're going to talk about good news, you'd say, well, is the voice or the face, but are the feet of those who bring good news? Now, forgive a wee advert here, but uh, there's a place in Ferry. And they also have a place up on uh, Blackness Road called Happy Feet. And uh, I was given a voucher for it by my good lady uh, a while ago. And I thought, no way. I am not going, you know, I'm going to go to a place that, what do they do with your feet? How can your feet be happy? What a ridiculous title. I love it. I'd go there every week if I could afford it. Um, Some of you know Alberto de Paula. His wife is uh, one of the workers there. And what they do is, it's not a manicure, by the way, don't worry, I've not turned metro. Um, they, they do your nails and, you know, check that your feet are healthy, get rid of the corns or whatever if you've got any of those, and, uh, you know, massage your feet and put oil on it. It's fabulous. I could lie there all afternoon. It's just brilliant. And so I thought, you know, and then you come out, and I know this sounds weird, but my feet felt happy, you know? <laughs> You know, your heart's supposed to feel happy, but why your heart? My feet felt happy. So that's my wee advert for happy feet. But that's what this is speaking about here, happy feet. 
How beautiful or beautiful feet. Now, to understand the story, you need to understand the culture. In another book in the Bible, in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 19 to 33, there's a story of a battle between Joab and David's son Absalom. Uh, Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom. Uh, Joab won that battle, and he says to a, a man called a, a Cushite, I mean, there's no internet, there's no phone, so you've got to go tell them. And he's got to run back to the city of David to Jerusalem. And another man called Amahaz is following after him. And on the city of Jerusalem, there are watchmen. They're in the towers. If you've ever been to any one of these castles, if you go around uh, an old fortified city, you'll see the towers. And the watchmen are there watching. If they see a whole bunch of people coming, they know that it's bad news because it means the enemy army is there and wiped out everyone else. But they see one person running, a single runner with a spring in his step and joy in his face. And that's the image that's being used here. There is good, good news. An ancient Christian a long time ago, Eusebius, said this, Here, Isaiah says very particularly that it is the feet of those who publish the good news of Christ that are beautiful. For how could they not be beautiful, which in so small, so short a time have run over the whole earth and filled every place with the holy teaching about the Savior of the world? Uh, We're about, as well as the Scottish election, we're about to have an election for the European Parliament. And I was quite interested the number of Christians from Britain who said, we're really concerned if we leave the European Union, I'm not going to say either or for that, we're not into the politics of that here, but one of the reasons they gave is, what happens if we leave, will British missionaries be allowed to go to France or Slovakia or whatever? Well, do you know, nothing stops the gospel. They really need not worry. You know the story of China, that after the Second World War, when Mao Zedong won uh, and threw out Chiang Kai-shek and, and, and so on, he also threw out all the missionaries. We have an overseas missionary fellowship prayer meeting, and they were based in China, and all their missionaries were thrown out. And everyone thought, what a disaster. How are the Chinese going to hear? There were possibly less than 500,000 Chinese Christians at that point. Well, after Mount Seitung, and when the doors began to open into China, uh, we went, people went and wondered what kind of Christian church there would be there. It's now the biggest church in the world. There are more Chinese Christians than there are European Christians. God's not limited. Oh, how will God do it without us? It's, it's an attitude, it's a very silly attitude. We have good news, and that good news gets spread all over the place in different ways. Ephesians 6.15 says, our feet are to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, I still think that this is a a strange imagery, even for those of us who are Christians who, who know the imagery, but why are, if you like, this image of our feet being shod with the gospel? What does that mean? Well, what are shoes for? Um, they're not for showing off, just in case you wondered. Um, they are for walking and for protecting your feet. 
Life is described as a walk. The gospel is not something in this sense that's used that's in our hands, though it is, but it's something that's on our feet because it is our protection. Those of us who are Christians and we're really struggling with a whole lot of different things, the gospel is our protection. The good news is what we have. You could have a particular political affiliation. You could be manically depressed after um, elections, though I can't imagine you'd be any more depressed than if you're an American and you had the choice to face that you're going to have. You could. You could just get really depressed about the whole thing. But then you come to the gospel. The gospel is good news. The gospel is protection. Again, uh, in the news this week, um, the Liverpool fans from Hillsborough. Now, some of you are old enough to remember what happened at Hillsborough. I remember. I watched it in horror on the television as it happened. And 96 people died in what was just a horrendous incident. And for many years, the people advocated, a lot of the relatives said, look, the police were at fault here. And there was so much cover-up. And now, finally, it's been found out that they were at fault and the, the sense of justice and so on. Well, what, when they gathered in Liverpool this week to sing, what did they sing? They sang the Liverpool song. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. A Christian who has the gospel is somebody who never walks alone and who has hope in their heart. We have good news, and that is good news. What is it of? It is good news of peace, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. It's not Christmas, but a Christmas song won't go amiss. Happy Christmas, war is over, John and Yoko. You know, peace, peace, man, peace. Again, one or two of you here are old enough to have been hippies. Um, You probably weren't. Maybe you were. Show us the photos later. But, you you know, the peace, love, and understanding thing. It just all seems so great. But we knew it was rubbish, or at least we should have known it was rubbish. There hasn't been a year since then where there hasn't been war in the world. Happy Christmas, war is over. It's it's just not true. But here, Isaiah is coming and saying, there's peace, and it's peace with God. You go back into chapter 1, it's the end of God's anger. It's the city awakening to holiness. It's the people becoming priests and kings. It is redemption, this freedom from slavery being bought without cost. In fact, the image is used of the runner coming and he is just so knackered when he gets to the gates and he falls down before the king and he just blurts out, it's peace. It's not war. It's peace. It's good news. It's salvation. And then he stands up and he shouts to the whole city, Your God reigns. In Christian terms, Jesus is ascended on high. Jesus reigns. In New Testament terms, Jesus is Lord. That's what the beautiful feet do. They come with good news. And then there's a response. We'll go on to the next verse. Uh, In verse 8, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they'll see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Now, you've already got the image of the watchman standing on the towers waiting to see, what's the news? What's the news? And then they shout out the news. 
The watchmen are those who proclaim the Word of God. It is as though Jesus is the runner, if you like, and He's telling them, it's peace, it's peace. These are people, if you like, the watchmen, they see the bigger picture. Sometimes you can imagine people in a, in a wee house and, or in a room within the city, and maybe their kids are crying, maybe they're hungry, maybe they're concerned about war, maybe their dad's away uh, fighting, and all the rest of it. They don't see the big picture, but the watchmen see the big picture. They see what has happened, and they shout out because they get the big picture. And I need to say that in terms of the church. We need people. I think we're very individualistically focused, and we're very narrowly focused on on our immediate circumstances, and are now And we need people who see the bigger picture, especially in the light of the gospel. It's an image that's used throughout the Bible. For example, in the New Testament, Luke 2, 38, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment, and that's, uh, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She came. She'd been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, not knowing if she would see, and she saw Jesus, and she knew that this was the redemption of Jerusalem. We look for things, I sometimes think in our lives, we are always looking, always looking for something more, always looking for something extra. I love, now this sounds so pretentious, so, but just bear with me, okay, because I have to do it. Um, I love uh, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. Tolstoy's War and Peace, which incidentally this week I discovered is actually War and Society. I don't know why we called it War and Peace but it's the impact of war on society. And uh, yeah, it's, you ain't going to read it in one night, let's put it that way. It, it goes on a bit, and you really, really have to get into it. But once you get into it, there's the most extraordinarily beautiful writing. And towards the end, I think this is possibly my favorite passage in a novel ever. And it's uh, one of the, the heroes within it. He's been wrestling through different things. And as it comes towards the end, he says this, or it's described of him in this way. In the past, he had never been able to find that great, inscrutable, infinite something. He had only felt that it must exist somewhere and had looked for it. In everything near and comprehensible, he had only what was limited, petty, commonplace, and senseless. He had equipped himself with a mental telescope and looked into remote space, where petty worldliness hiding itself in misty distance had seemed to him great and infinite, merely because it was not clearly seen. See what he's saying? He's saying that things too close to him, they looked too petty, and then he looked further away, and they seemed great. But that was only because he wasn't seeing them clearly. He goes on, and such had European life, politics, Freemasonry, philosophy, and philanthropy seemed to him. But even then, At moments of weakness, as he had accounted them, his mind had penetrated to those distances, 
and he had there seen the same pettiness, worldliness, and senselessness. Now, again, you see what Tolstoy is doing. He's saying, you seek for something, you look for something, and you get there, and you get it. You get what you're looking for, and when you get there, you're just disappointed because it's not what you were hoping for. He goes on, now, however, he'd learned to see the great, eternal, and infinite in everything, and therefore, to see it and enjoy its contemplation, he naturally threw away the telescope through which he had till now gazed over men's heads, and gladly regarded the ever-changing, eternally great, unfathomable, unfathomable, and infinite life around him. And the closer he looked, the more tranquil and happy he became. And this for me is the genius of what Tolstoy saw. He said, that dreadful question, what for? Which had formerly destroyed all his mental edifices, no longer existed for him. To that question, what for? A simple answer was now always ready in his soul. Because there is a God, that God without whose will not one hair falls from a man's head. We have a catechism that says, what is man's chief end? What's man's chief purpose? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The watchmen are watching, and they're looking, and the answer is given. Psalm 98, He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. They're going to sing these songs of joy. Now, again, you have to understand the context. And maybe the best way to do it is this. Imagine you're in Aleppo today, and you're wondering when the next Syrian airstrike is going to come. And you're wondering how the few homes that remain can survive. And you're wondering how you can bury the dead bodies, and someone comes and says, sing songs of joy. You're not going to sing songs of joy in that context because it's a place of the most distress and, and evil and lamenting. In the waste places of Jerusalem, God's people are being told, burst out into song the waste places of Jerusalem. Why? Because the king has come, because the relief has arrived, because if you ever seen um, these old Second World War films where, let's say, in the Netherlands, where the people had been occupied by the Nazis for years, and then as the uh, Allied soldiers came up, and as they, they drive up through the Dutch cities, their progress is hampered by people coming out, people who are hungry, people who had suffered deprivation, people who had been traumatized, and yet they are dancing and singing. Why? because their salvation has come. And that is the image that is being used. Let's go on to the next one. What is that salvation? Verse 10, the Lord will bear, lay bare His holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Now you see it, he says. Now you see the salvation of our God. What, what is that? What does that mean? He's laid bare His holy arm. It's an image of um, rolling your sleeves up. It's saying God has rolled His sleeves up. God has got to work, and He's brought good news to His suffering people. Now, 
In our understanding of things, we would say, well, good news would be that nobody got sick. Good news would be that nobody died. Good news would be that everyone was wealthy. But that's kind of almost trivial in the context of this good news. Because the good news is, how does God deal with the problem of evil and sin and suffering without, without wiping out humanity wherein that evil exists? I think the best answer is given in Romans 10, verse 5. Moses describes it, which quotes this verse, by the way. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. That's just simply saying there's a kind of religion which says, do this, do this, do this, and you'll live. Live a perfect life, and God will bless you. Except nobody, nobody, nobody is going to live a perfect life. But the righteousness, Paul goes on, that is by faith, says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It says, the word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We used the expression earlier, said to Ayer, about becoming a Christian. And some of you would say, oh, what does that mean? What do you mean become a Christian? You know, did you, did you sign a contract? Did, what, what happened? Did you do this, do this, do this, do this? Well, you ask Ayer what happened to her because each of us has a different testimony. But the heart of it is always the same. The Christian is somebody who comes to a point where they say, I can't do it. I can't do whatever God requires. I can't do what I require. I can't do what anyone else requires. I need to be saved. And someone who believes that Jesus is the Savior, that He rose from the dead, and confess Him. That's what Ayer is doing in baptism this morning. Go on, as the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Now, that's true wherever. Throughout the world today, there are people in every culture and every context who are calling on the name of the Lord. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because in the housing estates of Dundee and the suburban areas of Dundee and in the villages and towns around. In our cities in this nation, the whole of Europe, the whole of the world, what every single person needs to hear is the good news of Jesus Christ, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I was speaking to someone this week who has been talking to one of their friends and talking and talking and questions and questions and answers and questions and answers. And um, they just looked at me and said, what? I, I don't get this. How can they be looking so much and yet not have found God? And I, I said to them, I, I quoted this verse, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It might not be in the instant that we expect, but I have no doubt about that whatsoever. The reason I stand here and tell you about Jesus Christ is because I know that anyone here who asks Jesus Christ to save them, He never 
turns away anyone. It's good news. It's great news. How do we respond to this? Let's just go on to the last two verses we're going to look at this morning. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Do you know what I like about the Bible? It never, ever does formulas. Every time you're thinking, I'm going there to there to there, it takes you somewhere else. And, you know, if we were writing the Bible, we were making it up, we just wouldn't have it. We'd have it as a manual, and it's never as a manual. And again, here, this is just real teaching from God into a real-life situation. What's, what's he saying? He's saying, okay, you've got good news, get out. He's referring them back to the Exodus when God's people were taken out of Egypt, except it's a different kind of Exodus because then they took loads of stuff and he said, no, no, leave everything that's unclean. And then also the people left in haste and he's saying, no, you don't need to leave in haste now. So what, what does this mean? He's saying the Lord is coming to take us home, be ready. He's saying to Christians, travel lightly. It's as though if you've gone to the airport and you've seen one of these people, maybe it's the first time they've ever been on a flight or whatever, and they're going somewhere far away like London or something. And, you know, and and you see them, the two massive suitcases, you think, I'm not going on the plane with them, it's going to fall. And then you see your experienced business person, and they might be going for a weekend in Amsterdam. And they've kind of got the wee bag that you think, what have you got in there? Just makeup or something. You know, it's just, it's, it's just tiny. It's because they don't have to, you know, check it in and all that kind of stuff. I got this wonderful bag down in one of the shops in Dundee that's just, that's just about that size. It's got so many zips. It's brilliant. And you put loads of, I mean, I put something in there. I've lost it forever. But apart from that, it's, it's just great. And it's so light and so small. And what God is saying here is to those of us who are Christians, Why are you burdened down with all the cares of this world? Why are you loading stuff onto yourself? Travel lightly. There's good news. Get rid of the stuff that's just going to drown you, if you like. There's a kind of negative and positive holiness in here. This is quoted again in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? And there, by the way, it's talking not about... um, work. It's not even talking about uh, marriage primarily. What it's talking about is in worship. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What is agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord." Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Do you know what that is saying? That's not saying when you become a Christian, you've got to retreat, and you mustn't touch any unclean thing, and any non-Christian is unclean. Sorry, can't shake your hand because you're not a Christian. It's not saying that. It's not saying you can't enjoy food. It's not saying you meet. What it's saying is this. It's saying that once you become a Christian, the worship of God is the most important thing in your life, and you're not going to compromise it. With religion, 
that rejects Jesus Christ or religion that distorts the gospel. I heard another voice from heaven say, Revelation 18.4, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or you will not receive any of her plagues. Because there is a repentance involved. Becoming a Christian is not just hearing, oh, there's good news that God saves, but because God saves, we repent of our sin, we turn away from our sin, and we follow after Jesus Christ. This is not good news which says, it's not Disney-esque good news. It's not, listen, folks, the world is really great. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. Everything's going my way. Yeah, right. You step out and it starts chucking it down. I mean, you know that that's not how life is. But what it's saying is this. It's saying this is the day of salvation. It's saying we are to separate ourselves from stuff that is evil as far as possible. We are to be cleansed within. We are to ask Christ to forgive us. The unclean idea was meant not fit for the service of God, but God cleanses. The first Exodus, Exodus 12, 11, this is how you are to eat the Passover with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Again, it's as though you're waiting for your plane and you're standing at the coffee bar. You don't even have time to sit down. You've got your, a to-go cup and you're, you know, you're going to eat whatever it is on your way walking to the flight. Well, this is different. This is saying, Jesus has come. It's done. You go out with joy. You be led forth in peace. And then this great promise that the Lord will go with you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now, where that comes from is with the ark and the temple and so on. Joshua 6, 9, the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. Or in Exodus 13, 21, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Sometimes I meet people who say, do you know this? I really, really like what the gospel is saying, and I'd like to become a Christian, but I just don't know that I could continue. I don't know that I could live as a Christian. And the answer to that question is you couldn't. You can't. It's impossible. Unless for this, God goes with you. The Lord will be with you. If you're not a Christian, I want to apply this in this simple way. I just want to ask you, what's your good news? Good news is you're healthy. That's great. Sorry, it won't continue. The good news is you've got a job. That's great. Sorry, it won't continue. The good news is that right now all your relationships are going quite well. Again, sorry, that won't continue because there's something fundamentally flawed in this world, and we are part of this world, and we are part of the flaw, if you're like. We're part of the problem. We need to be forgiven. We need to be renewed. We need new life. We need to be reborn. What Tolstoy was talking about, always reaching for the stars and yet never getting there, but instead coming to realize that it's in God we live and move and have our being, 
and we need forgiveness, and you need forgiveness. You need new life, and the good news is you can't earn it by religion. You can't earn it by your own goodness, but it is given through Jesus Christ, and I urge you to seek and to find that. For those of us who already are Christians, say, yeah, yeah, we know that. Again, I want to ask about your feet. There was a practice in 19th century and early 20th century China of women's feet being so tightly bound when they were children that their bones were crushed. And the reason for that was because small feet were considered to be beautiful and the most beautiful thing about a woman. I suspect it was a man who decided that. But, I mean, just it was horrible, horrible. And uh, the emperor... The Empress Dowager at the end of the 19th century, rather, was a woman, she sought to get that stopped, but it took a long, long time. It took until the 21st century before most people think it's now being completely wiped out. But for those of us who are Christians, I think sometimes it's like our feet are crushed a bit. We're very inward looking, we're very constrained, we're very self absorbed, we're very bound. Beautiful feet. Beautiful feet are those that are shod with the gospel, not with anything else. And beautiful feet mean that you will go and you will tell other people. I'm not going to play it, but Google it and you'll get it. Lecrae has a song called Beautiful Feet. It's a great song. I absolutely love it. I mean, I know Christian rap for some of you are going, oh, come on, you're kidding. No, but honestly, go for it, even if you don't like rap. Uh, it's, it's, it's superb. And uh, he talks about a kid in an urban housing estate in the United States who's converted. And basically, uh, he's from what colloquially is called the hood. And uh, basically, this kid, uh, young person, whatever, is sent off to Bible school and teach him how to wear a suit and so on. And Lecrae says, well, wait a minute, who's going back to the hood? Who's telling the people in the hood? And he talks about, I don't care about him wearing a suit. I care if he's got beautiful feet. And that's what God's saying. He's saying, what's your feet like? Okay, go to happy feet if you want to. Highly recommended. But if you want really, really beautiful feet, you need to know and believe and understand and live the gospel. And everywhere you go, you will take the presence and the sweet perfume of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it to us. Help us as we reflect upon it and grant that those of us who as yet do not know you would come to know you and that those who do, that we would be unbound from all the stuff that shrivels us up and stops us exalting and rejoicing in the good news and telling others. In your name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity at solas.org. 
www.solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.